Lawmakers are headed home for the President's Day recess after seven weeks of partisan combat over Donald Trump's cabinet nominees. During the week-long break, anti-Trump activists plan to meet them at their offices and at town hall meetings. They're envisioning a new Tea Party, this time on the left wing, that will stymie the GOP agenda and help Democrats regroup for 2018. I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. Today, I'm joined by Vanessa Williamson, author of the 2012 book, The Tea Party and the Remaking of Republican Conservatism. She's also a fellow at the Brookings Institution. Welcome, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. Vanessa, is this uprising on the left similar to the Tea Party's rise in 2010, which helped Republicans regain control of the House that year? It's clear that the left is taking a similar playbook, right? It's been very explicit. A lot of the local groups that are trying to influence their Congress members um, are looking at the Tea Party tactics and adopting them pretty much wholesale. That's interesting. I mean, and when you talk about tactics, what, what are we talking about specifically? For instance, uh, calling your congressman, don't send emails, uh, you know, actually stop by your congressman's office, um, make yourself heard in the way that the Tea Party made themselves heard at town halls um, and, you know, in person at protests, rather than just engaging in sort of social media activism. Gotcha. And and that kind of face-to-face activism is more effective than the facilitated activism that interest groups put together, the, the form letters and the like. We know that from from surveys of Capitol Hill staff, from surveys of members of Congress. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, as a general rule, the more commitment it takes on the part of the voter to tell the re- their representative something, the more seriously that representative takes it, right? Because they're measuring how much do you care about this issue? Oh, you care enough to click a button? That's not that much caring, right? I'm not sure that that's going to translate into my election results next time around. You cared enough to show up in my office and bring 50 of your friends? Oh, well, now that's actually a pretty serious mm-hmm. level of commitment. So if the Tea Party did something right and can be credited with these Republican election victories, what can Democrats take from it? What can they mimic to try to achieve the same ends? So I think going beyond the tactics that we've already seen them adopting, which I think are quite effective, um, I think there are two things. First of all, uh, Tea Party activists were very good at focusing state and local level, right? And we're talking about a lot of state legislatures that really matter for the policies that Democrats care about, right? We saw this with uh, the rollout of the ACA. You know, if you don't control the state house and the governorship, you're not necessarily going to get those federal policies, even if you do take back every branch of the federal government, right? So that's one thing, focusing state and local. The other thing I'd say is the policies that got passed with the energy of the Tea Party, some of those policies were not just ideologically uh, appealing to Republicans, so say uh, voter suppression laws or regulations that make it much, much harder to maintain unions. Um, these things, you know, Republicans like those ideas in principle, but they're also great strategies, right? Because they demobilize your opposition. So one thing I think Democrats should probably be thinking about is policies that build power, right? So things that on their side would be making uh, a broader array of Americans having an easier time to vote, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, policies that are inclusive. So you're not just doing something that you think is a good thing to do, but you're building power so that you can maintain your victories over time. Now, the Tea Party, it was... Uh an organic protest, though, right? It wasn't something that conservative activist groups ginned up. 
No, that's exactly right. Certainly at the very beginning, those protests uh, in early 2009, February 2009, were very organic. These were uh, local activists who were upset about what they thought the Obama administration was going to do. Now, relatively quickly, they got a lot of support from elite aspects of the Republican Party. And I think that's something that we have yet to see whether it's happening on the left, right? So within weeks of the first Tea Party protests, Fox News, conservative radio were really promoting these events, right? Fox News actually branded those events Fox News Channel Tea Parties um, and sent their hosts to act as sort of headlines. Right, so people could go and see Glenn Beck at their local Tea Party. Similarly, uh, certain conservative groups really jumped on the bandwagon too and tried to use that energy to build their own membership. Now, I talked um, last week with one of your colleagues at Brookings, Bill Galston, who's the f- co-founder of the No Labels movement, who wants to see more cooperation between Democrats and Republicans. And he he raised a concern about the current activism. He said sometimes this sort of movement makes you. Stronger where you're strong. We know Democrats and liberals are strong in the cities, on the co- in the coastal areas. But he worried that they can make you weaker where you're weak. And the re- Democrats lost the election in the exurbs and in the Rust Belt. And do we have any... Do we have any sense of whether people in those areas are part of these protests? Well, I was struck by how widely spread the women's protest was, the women's march was. And also, I mean, you've at least been seeing some of these indivisible-style Tea Party uh, protests happening in red areas. Now, whether they're happening exactly in the swing areas, I think, is still unclear. Um, But I'd say more generally that this is the very early part of what the left is going to do in response to Trump, right? It, It isn't coordinated yet. This is something that, you know, no matter what people say about paid protesters, these are local people organizing to talk to their representative, right? And the question is whether uh, all that energy is going to get channeled into electoral effectiveness. I sat in on a call from one of the activist groups, moveon.org, last week, and I was struck by the the leaders of the movement want to keep the keep it going, want to get people out and, at protests. But there wasn't a lot of talk about um, strategy, about where members of Congress are most vulnerable, where they... Democrats might pick up seats in 2018. What's your sense of the whether there's any strategy behind this or whether it's more uh, emotional at this point? Well, I think at this point it's just very early. So I think there's still time to figure out those kinds of uh, approaches, right? I think the first grassroots Tea Party protests were where people actually felt like protesting the Obama administration, right? Uh, It's not that those were necessarily the swing districts two years later. But I think that one thing that's really important about this sort of organic part of uh, the protest movement is that it gives people across the country a sense of hope a sense that it's worthwhile to participate because that's one of the things that really keeps people home, the thought that what they do won't make a difference. But believing you can be part of a groundswell, now that actually gets people out into the streets and it also gets them to the polls. One point about the Tea Party, certainly, is that it was not necessarily about getting the Republican Party reelected. It was about changing the Republican Party, as your book title says, remaking conservatism. And in some instances, it hurt the Republican Party. They put up candidates, for example, in 2010 in Delaware and in Nevada that may have cost them a chance at the Republicans a chance at winning the Senate. Is there any indication that this current liberal movement uh, might turn on Democrats who are insufficiently opposed to Donald Trump's agenda? I I think that's exactly right in terms of your analysis of the Tea Party. It was not their only priority to elect Republicans, right? They were not just acting as some sort of pack for the Republican Party at all. What they wanted to do was push the Republican Party rightward. And I'm not actually entirely sure that pushing the Democratic Party leftward is what all of the anti-Trump protesters are talking about. I think a lot of them just want firm opposition to Donald Trump, which is a pretty right-wing agenda. So that might include a lot of centrist people. So I'm not actually sure that those are going to be similar. But 
the goal of the Tea Party was not just to win every seat. It was to push the entire party. It was to frighten people who thought of themselves as middle-of-the-road Republicans who thought they were safe, frighten them into making sure they were holding the party line on every issue. And that strategy requires occasionally being willing to push beyond winning, right, in a given district so that you are holding all of your party in line. Right. We've seen some some of these protests against Sheldon Whitehouse, the Democratic senator from Rhode Island, against Chuck Schumer, the Senate minority leader, the Democratic leader from New York, and even at Elizabeth Warren, who has criticized the Massachusetts senator uh, and liberal firebrand, who was criticized for voting in committee to recommend the nomination of Ben Carson, which is quite striking. What did you make of that? Well, I think it was striking how quickly those senators recognized that they had better change their tone, right? I mean, I think it was a very striking shift in the sort of demeanor of uh, the left wing of the Democratic Party in the Senate towards uh, a much firmer line against Trump's nominees. So to the extent that that was a goal of the protest, it clearly was a goal, they achieved it. Right. Right. Now, what that means going forward, I think, is less clear. Indeed. I mean, one question is, what does this mean for governance in Washington? I mean, it's taking the the partisanship which we saw the Republicans aim at President Barack Obama to a new level, is it not? Well, I think it's an interesting moment because uh, to a certain extent, a lot of typical aspects of governance haven't been working in a while now, right? We have not had a lot of cooperation. We've had government shutdowns. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't working the way they're supposed to. And several of the things Trump's doing are really moving even that bar farther. So things like criticizing the press, um, you know, some of the things that are having really fall outside normal bounds of democratic politics. And you have to ask yourself, what is the right way to respond to that? Democrats, of course, they're tempted to compromise on areas where they'd like to see progress, for example, on big infrastructure bill. How do you think the activist movement is going to respond if there's compromise in areas like that? I have not gotten a strong sense from activists that there are any areas where they think compromise with Trump is appropriate. You know, give them a few more months and we'll see how much energy people have. It's very hard to maintain protest movements successfully. Now, this was a huge outpouring, right? These were enormous protests and they happened very quickly. Um, And particularly if Trump keeps making moves that are sort of outside the normal bounds of politics, things like the travel ban, uh, you know, those sorts of things really keep people engaged. But it's not clear to me if that energy is going to be sustained enough Mm. to ensure that Democratic senators continue to hold such a firm line. Right. Uh, The issue for Democrats often in midterm elections, which the 2018 election will be, is turnout. They didn't turn out in 2010, which enabled uh, the Republicans to take the House in what was a very low turnout election. So the challenge for the Democrats, the challenge for this protest movement is to keep that enthusiasm going through 2018. Absolutely. And probably beyond. That's actually an important difference with the Tea Party. If you look at the grassroots Tea Party groups, these were local people having meetings once a month, engaging in local politics, engaging at the state level, right? So that's the important part of this, too. It's not just about 2018 in Congress. It's about the state legislatures, the governorships. There are a lot of places where Republicans have made huge inroads in recent years and places where if Democrats want a different agenda, they're going to have to compete. So there was a lot of grassroots activism in those first couple of years of the Obama administration, but a lot of those groups died within a few years. You know, they stopped having local meetings. A third of them were gone within a year of the 2010 midterms. So the question for me is not only are you going to create a movement that sustains through 2018, but what are you going to do after that? These, these activists are angry, uh, clearly. Uh, what, is, what do you think is, insp- is causing that emotional reaction to Donald Trump and his presidency? 
Well, I think it's a, an intersection of a couple of things. Of course, the election result itself was unexpected. So people were not mentally prepared for the outcome, I think, on either side, frankly. Alongside that, I think that there's sort of an intersection of policies that are outside of the norm of what uh, his sort of middle-of-the-road policies for Americans, and then also a, a, a demeanor the president has taken that is, uh, I think, sort of personally offensive and sort of amplifies that for a lot of people, right? So it's not just things like uh, the global, global gag rule, which a lot of women don't like, right? It's that combined with a president whose uh, behavior towards women has been so offensive to so many. What are you looking for this week when the members of Congress representatives and senators are home. What are you going to be keeping an eye on? Well, I'm expecting there to be some very fiery town halls to the extent that they can find any of their representatives, right? I think we may see a fair number of representatives suddenly go missing as they have gone over the last few weeks. I don't know if you've seen, there are, across the country, there are missing signs up with pictures of congressmen who are not, who cannot seem to be found, right? So I think you'll see some of that. The, the important question for me is whether, you know, one of the things that is evidence of a healthy social movement is uh, creativity in your tactics, right? So it's one thing to adopt wholesale the things that the Tea Party did that were very effective, right? But what are you going to do after that? Because some of those, you know, congressmen are going to respond to those measures by making it harder to meet with them, for instance, if they don't want to deal with your protests, right? So what do you do next? And having that creativity helps keep the movement going. The uh, Republican congressmen who are being targeted, are they taking any lessons from the Tea Party movement? And deflecting the criticism? Well, I think that the Republican Party is in a very difficult place right now, right? Because on the one hand, they have uh, a president who can sign their legislation, right? And that is a wonderful thing if you are, uh, you know, a House Republican. At the same time, you've got uh, a Republican president who is deeply unpopular outside of the Republican base. And so for anyone who expects to get reelected with anything other than the Republican base, base voting for them, that's got to be a little bit of a frightening calculus. Vanessa, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.